Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Brawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org, or simply download the CCCIV app, you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977 hey so psalm 133:1, which you've heard many times says behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity and john chapter 17 john 17 is known as his high priestly prayer Jesus prayed several times that the church would be one. Not just his disciples then, but he was praying, he said specifically for all those who would come, that they would be one just as he and the Father is one. And unity is so crucial to the effectiveness of the church, and we forget that many times. Now, when he talks about Unity and the scriptures talk about unity. It's not talking about you being conformed to somebody else because there's so many things in this world that we have to deal with that are outside of the scriptures that we have to make sound, wise decisions on. He's not talking about when he talks about unity about your voting, he's not talking about all of us talking the same way. We come from different backgrounds. We come from different ethnicities. We come from different cultures. He's not talking about us being unity on the food we like. Although I, you know, love Mexican food and I think everybody should be on that page. How many love special quesadillas and enchiladas? Yeah, some of you are already thinking, man, I hope this is a short sermon so I can get my lunch. But he's not talking about all of us liking the same Christian music. That's not what he's talking about. When he's talking about unity, he's talking about us being our individual persons, and he's talking about unity in the midst of diversity. You can look at the ones sitting next to you, even our spouses. We're so wired different. We're so, our thought life sometimes is so different and our preferences are so different that we can see it just in our marriage. But look among this church today. When you look about the people in this church, there are so many different diverse backgrounds. In fact, I probably would say that this is one of the most diverse churches in the Imperial Valley. You've got even people that are just off drugs and alcohol in the sanctuary this morning, just coming into a life with Jesus Christ. You've got others that are from the upper scale in our society and in our culture. But among that diversity, we're called to unity. And unfortunately, let me say something, unfortunately, the church has not experienced that too often throughout its history. There's always been pockets of division here and there, even in the New Testament. When you read the New Testament, you find in certain churches there was disunity. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 
the Apostle Paul specifically speaks of divisions within the church. And the church in Rome is no different. The church in Rome is no different. We see here in this epistle that there was some division going on and primarily due between Gentiles and Jews. Gentiles are non-Jews. The Jews came out of a specific culture. They lived by the Old Testament. And as we moved into the New Testament, we moved into a new era. Even with the Passover, their celebration where they would come every year and slaughter the lambs and that high holy day, that holy day there, Jesus took the Passover and He transformed it, the Passover meal, transformed it into the Lord's Supper. But as the church was growing, there was all these pockets of division due mainly to the cultures they came out of, their preferences, not really what was rooted in the Scriptures themselves. And in the book of Romans, we see in chapter 14 where People are making their preferences and putting them on the same level as God's precepts. In fact, let's just read chapter 14 together, and you'll get an idea of what's happening here. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. If you're a vegan, he's not talking about that. (laughs) Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. That's the key. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands and falls, and he will be upheld. For the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself, For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that He might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. That, by the way, is a quote out of Isaiah chapter 45. It didn't just show up in Philippians chapter 2. We'll talk about that just for a brief moment. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore... Let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know, and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. This is how you know that this is a division between the Gentiles and the Jews. That word unclean is rooted in the Old Testament. It is a technical term specific to the dietary laws, touching the dead, things like that. But Paul says, nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one whom Christ died. 
So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason. By the way, that's not speaking of a sharing of the gospel. Keep your faith to yourself. That's one of the biggest lies that's out there in the culture. Your faith is your faith. You shouldn't be sharing Jesus with anybody. That's not what it's speaking of there. But it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble. It's good not to eat, verse 21, meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. I like reading a whole chapter because the churches don't read chapters. They don't read scriptures in church anymore. And if I'm preaching on a chapter, even if it's two chapters, I preached on Revelation 17, 18, 1. I read, had the whole thing read. I didn't read it. It was a playback. But I think that God's word already has penetrated certain hearts here before we jump in to the scriptures. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. And Lord God, we pray that your word would take root in our hearts. And Lord, that we would understand what you're trying to convey to to us this morning as we look into this chapter, this marvelous chapter. For it is your desire, Lord, that unity is brought among your people. And I pray, Lord, that as we see what the scriptures declare, that we wouldn't throw up a wall. Sometimes we want to welcome the scriptures that please us and the ones that challenge us we want to shut out. But Lord, let us be open open to the transformation of your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you can see, they were putting their personal preferences, making them as absolute precepts of God. The weaker in the faith that you see here are the ones that actually held to the most rules. The stronger understood their freedom in Christ. Now, as we get into this, I want you to understand that the background to all of this is the non-essential matters. Look at that verse in verse 1. It says, opinions. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not quarrel over opinions. That's why you know that what he's dealing with in this chapter is opinions. What we call them, what you can translate that word as, as disputable matters. You can translate it as opinions, as chapter 14 does. But what you need to understand is this is preferences of people, and we have no right ever to make our preferences as as binding as the Scriptures. We see it all the time. In fact, a couple summers ago, I was visiting a church in Bonita, California, up there in the San Diego area, and it was a church that my wife's cousins went to, and I was talking to the pastor afterwards, and he said that he had changed his worship style from the choir setting 
to just the worship kind of like what we have. And you know what the choir did? The choir marched off and caused a church split because they felt that every church should have a choir. And that is a personal preference, and that's what Paul's getting to here. We call them non-essential matters. Non-essential matters are the source of division. That's what it says in verse 1, the opinions of others. That Greek word is dialogismos, where we get our English word dialogue from. You know how you sit down and you start to dialogue with somebody, and you bounce things off of one another? That's where the English word comes from. But what it's speaking of is these Christians that have been incorporated into the body of Christ and now they've got opinions on how you should serve Christ. They have their own opinions on what it looks like to be a godly person. They have this idea that if you follow all the rules, dot the I's, cross the T's, that you are going to be acceptable before God. Now, you've got to separate this group of people from the ones in Galatians because the one in Galatians, the ones that deal with the dietary laws and circumcision, saying you have to do this in order to be right with God, those were called Judaizers, and I don't believe they were saved. But the ones here referred to as brothers. Brothers, these are Christians that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but yet they have a difference of opinion on how that looks in the life of somebody and how that should play out in each one of our lives. Now, when you first got saved, there's no question, when you first came to Jesus Christ, you had a mindset that this is what it looks like to serve God. A lot of that depended on how you were discipled and who discipled you. I know that I came out of a disciple-making factory, but some of the stuff that I was taught, I don't agree with today. But that doesn't make me break fellowship or be in disunity with them. I still believe in the ministry, and I still believe God is doing amazing things there. And some of you, as you have matured in Christ, you said, man, I used to battle over these things, and now I've changed my mind, and I'm on the other side of the camp. And so that's what's happening here. You've got Christians that say you still need to honor the dietary laws. We're going to get into that in a moment. But what you need to understand, there's three levels that you look at as important in Christianity. Three levels of importance. One would be, what is essential for salvation? What is essential for salvation? And that would be, who is the person of Jesus Christ? His atoning work on the cross, His virgin birth, God in the flesh, humanity, 100% humanity, 100% God, because only God can die on the cross and pay the debt of our sin. You've got to believe that your salvation is justified by grace through faith alone. That's what Paul was getting at in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. He was laying out beautifully what does this look like? How does somebody get right with God? How is somebody made righteous with God? And he clearly lays it out. Because there are so many people that are of a legalistic cloth, and it's no different than Buddhism or Catholicism. It's a works-oriented salvation that they're seeking, and they'll never get there. So Paul wants to make it clear that, man, here's what's essential for salvation. What did Jesus accomplish on the cross? Did He pay the debt of my sins only when I 
came to Christ, and then if I backslide, I lose my salvation? He wanted to make it clear, and that's why communion is so important that we celebrate today, that our salvation is secured by the death of Jesus Christ. Not our works, but His work on the cross. So you've got to differentiate. What is essential for salvation? If they tell us or tell you that what's essential for salvation, you have to honor this day or you have to abstain from this food, you have to do this once a year or twice a year, then they're wrong because that isn't essential for salvation. The thief on the cross is proof of that. He never attended a church service. So there's those things that are essential for salvation, but there's also those matters that are essential for strengthening the church and upholding the truth. I'm talking about things like the gender issue, marriage. Those two things are biggies right now. Can marriage take place between a man and a man and a woman and a woman? Is there really more than two genders and all of that stuff? I've got news for you. This may shock you. That is not essential for salvation. There are so many deathbed conversions that I've been a part of in my own life, and they were pagans their entire life, but their salvation was dependent on their confession and acceptance and belief that Jesus Christ died and covered their sins, and they repented of their sins. So level number two, and I believe that this needs to be upheld today, I believe absolutely that the church should unashamedly declare the truth because the most unloving thing you can do for anybody is to know what God's Word says on these issues and to bite your tongue. But when it comes to the church, you got to have patience with certain people. you got to understand what they came out of. So you've got these essentials for salvation You've got these things that are matters, not so much for salvation, but upholding the truth and the design of life that God gave. If you let all that in, then the family breaks down and everything else. There's matters of indifference. These are what we would call non-essentials, debatable things, preferences, opinions. And you're going to have two camps in Romans chapter 14. You're going to have one that are referred to the weak. The weak ones are the ones that they look at the other guys, and they say, man, you shouldn't be doing that. And they begin to even question their salvation. Then you've got the strong. And by the way, you need to understand that Paul falls into the camp of the strong. He says, I know and am persuaded, verse 14, in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. He tells you where he falls, and he also even makes a couple other passages of Scripture known to the churches on where he falls concerning these things that they were upholding. But what he was trying to get at is that, look, the weak in faith aren't necessarily, as it would sound to you and I, the weak are believers, they've trusted in Jesus Christ, and they're coming out of a culture, maybe, where they were raised in. Have you ever met a Muslim before that just came out of a life with Islam, and now they're Christians, some of the residue stays there. Some of the residue stays there, and the church has had to have incredible patience through the years for them to grow in their understanding. Now, the weak in faith in this context is not referring directly to one's belief or trust, but one's convictions 
about certain things that you can do as a Christian now. So you've got some with convictions that say, hey, this is okay to do. And I'm going to exercise my liberty and I'm going to exercise my freedom in Christ. Then there's others that haven't got to that point yet, the ones that Paul would call weak in the faith, their conscience hasn't really gone up to that level yet, and he's trying to bring that wall down to where it would prohibit the judgment and everything else. The weak in faith are the ones that will make non-essential items essential. They'll say, wait a minute, you're backsliding. You're not walking hand in hand with Jesus. You didn't show up for 6 a.m. prayer today. They're the ones that tend to be more legalistic. There was a man in our church for years. Many of you would know him if I told you his name. He was a servant of the Lord. He did so many amazing things for the Lord, but he was OG. He was old school. And one time he hit me up at the door and he says, I see that you don't have a tie on. Do you really think you should be preaching without a tie? Hey, then, when I grew the goatee, (laughs) kid you not, he says, I see you've gone the way of the world. I said, what do you mean by that? I thought, did he see me speeding to church this morning or something? And he says, I see you got a goatee. He even rubbed it right there. And he saw, but that's the way he believed. That was old school. That was the church that he was raised in. So the strong in faith understand their freedom in faith. I can grow a goatee and I can preach without a tie. And if you don't like it, there's others that have ties and when they preach and they don't have a goatee and you can be comfortable there. All right. So we're going to have these things going on. 1 Corinthians 10.23, all things are lawful. He declares it. He says all things are lawful. Now he's not talking about sin. Listen to me. Let me parenthetically, a big parenthesis here. When we're talking about things which you can and can't do, when you're talking about non-essentials, we're not talking about things that are clear in Scripture. We're not talking about, hey, it's okay, I'll just keep living with my girlfriend. Or I'll keep living with my boyfriend. That is black and white in Scripture. In fact, Hebrews 13, I think it's verse 4 or 5, says that the marriage bed is undefiled, but adulterers and fornicators God will judge. This is why when we approach somebody about living together, or if you're getting drunk. If you know something we don't know about somebody else, it is your obligation in the body of Christ to turn that person from their sin because they are in danger. You don't know if they ever came to Christ. They may have made a profession one day and said, oh man, I've got my ticket to heaven, everything else, and they go out there and they use that as a license to sin. That's not what Paul's speaking of here in in Romans 14. He's talking about stuff that are gray areas. Stuff that you can do. Stuff that may be violating the conscience of somebody else. Then he says to take a look at that even though it's permissible. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, he says all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. So we as Christians, we begin to look at our life and our freedom in Christ And we begin to say, how can I use my freedom to build up 
the body of Christ to build up those other believers that have not gotten there yet. So you need to differentiate. First thing, there's a point of yours. Differentiate between those things that are essentials and non-essentials. If you're trying to bind somebody with a non-essential, shame on you, you are violating the Scriptures. If you are telling somebody this is what you need to get right and it is not in the Scriptures, then you have violated the Scriptures, the Word of God, and you have no right to impose that on them. So you need to differentiate between the things that are in Scripture that are sin and the things that are gray areas. That's the first thing. Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Raleigh, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org or simply download the cccib app you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977